0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the Meaningful Learning Podcast channel. With me, Dr. Samantha Gutrera. On this podcast channel, you'll find a collection of my conference presentations from 2016 onward. To learn more information about this work as well as all my work, visit my website at www.samanthagutrera.com. This paper is called "Doing and Designing Digital Humanities and Social Sciences." Best Practices for Higher Education Course and Assessment Design. I presented this paper in May 2018 with Mary Siris. In 2017, I was hired by the Vice Provost Academic at York University to work with the York University Libraries on a digital humanities and social science project in which students would create a series of online archives, exhibits, and data analysis samples. And then the librarians and I would extrapolate best practices related to digitization for the libraries and pedagogy for the Vice Provost Academic. The pedagogy side was the work that I began, and that became a relationship with uh, the vice provost academic that continues uh, well into 2020. What was really great about this project for me is that I got to collaborate with Anna St. Ange, the director of the Digital Scholarship Center at York University Libraries, as well as Mary Chaksiris, who was a professor as well as an educational developer who was working on digital humanities at this time. This paper is one of the series of papers that we did related to this project. This paper was presented at the Canadian Society for the Study and Education Annual Conference held at the University of Regina in Regina, Saskatchewan. So, hello everyone. Uh, my name is Dr. Samantha Gutrera. Uh, the work I'm presenting on today is work that I'm doing based at York University.
1: Oh, my name is Dr. Mary Chet-Cyrus, I'm an instructional developer at Ryerson University and I'm going to come in sort of towards the end of the conversation to talk about my experiences designing and implementing a digital humanities course at the undergraduate university level, but I'm hoping a lot of the stories, I think a lot of the takeaways I should say are higher level takeaways that we can all kind of relate to.
0: So the paper we're presenting on today is called Doing and Designing Digital Humanities and Social Sciences, Best Practices for Higher Education, Course and Assessment Design. Both Mary and I come from a history history education background, so I'm hoping that there'll be a discussion in which we'll be able to blend the, the two papers. Um, before I begin, though, I just want to acknowledge that we um, are on the uh, original territories of the Nahiwak, the Anishinaabek, the Dakota, Lakota, Nakota, and the homeland of the Métis in Treaty 4 territory. I also want to acknowledge that the work that both of us are presenting on today uh, was created on the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee, Métis and most recently the territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit. As a white scholar and educator in Canada, um, both myself and Mary are constantly trying to understand what it means to write, study, and teach in these territories in ways that develop, support, and maintain reconciliatory relationships between Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples, such as ourselves. This acknowledgement is a way to keep this acknowledgement present in our work, despite the work not directly um, talking about issues of colonialism, settlement, and reconciliation. So... A growing number of academic plans are prioritizing experiential and active learning in higher education. However, are these approaches to learning being implemented and experienced across departments and faculties? Do they align with pedagogical theory and student need? Are there ways to engage in this work without feeding into what is often called and felt as a neoliberal agenda to focus on marketability rather than understanding of content and the development of critical and creative thinking? In this paper, we argue that the pedagogies that use tools under the umbrella of digital humanities and social sciences provide critical avenues for incorporating institutional and potentially personal teaching and learning priorities in undergraduate education and can serve as an important framework for engaging in these discussions in higher education. In this, our aim for the paper is to establish and provide the foundational curricular knowledge needed to understand how digital humanities and social sciences can innovate and expand pedagogy and curricular practices in higher education. Our approach to digital humanities come from a wide range of interdisciplinary advocates. The digital is now, according to Moss, a total social fact and can make possible, according to MARS, new forms of social knowing in the, new forms of knowing in the social world. In higher education, the digital as a total social fact is attractive for teaching and research in the humanities and social sciences because of the ways these tools and technologies can develop technical, intellectual, and administrative competencies amongst faculty and students, competencies argued that is needed in our increasingly technologically advanced society. Digital humanities as a social undertaking or a movement as an umbrella of convergent practices expand our knowledge and dissemination of uh, humanities and social science research and pedagogy through the integration of academic subjects. In this way, digital humanities projects are developed with the can be developed with the aim to enhance critical and active learning through experiential and e learning opportunities. It can also provide new modalities and innovations for collaboration and come to know in ways that more traditional research and learning may not be able to achieve. Oh, not yet. Because of the interdisciplinary nature of digital humanities conversations, assessment and evaluation strategies often follow the universal design of teaching. While a useful framework for those without a pedagogical background, digital humanities and social science practices can be further enhanced through an engagement with more practice-oriented approaches to teaching and learning, such as meaningful learning and critical pedagogies. In this sense, digital humanities and social sciences can provide opportunities for student-centric problem-posing critical literacies, especially when paired with experiential and e-learning praxis. Furthermore, reflective teaching and learning practices, as well as community reflection and evaluation, are essential parts of effective education. Bringing this to a digital humanities and social science conversation enhances both digital humanities and social science literature and literature about the 21st century teaching and learning competencies needed in higher education. Oh, sorry, I thought there was a thing for both of ours. So um, after, the, our, for the, after that introduction, I'm going to talk about my example, and then Mary's going to talk about her example uh, based on her experience at Ryerson and Laurier. So right now I'm a curriculum specialist in the office of the Vice Provost at York University, engaging in a digital humanities and social science project that is designed for teaching and learning practices. Fifteen years ago uh, or so, when I took uh, Foundations of Curriculum, I was introduced to Miller and Seller's work um, and the three types of curriculum perspectives. Increasingly, I go back to these perspectives, these models, in order to kind of understand how my own work intersects with them, to review a transmission model is often what people in education want to move away from. It's rote learning. it's banking education, according to Frere. It's a top-down. The function is just to transmit facts and skills. A transaction approach is a dialogue between students and curriculum. The students reconstruct knowledge through um, problem-solving and through uh, knowledge gathering. So the idea is that it's a dialogue, and this often comes from Dewey. A lot of our curriculum now, I would argue, aligns with a transaction model. And then the third is transformation, which promotes social and personal change. It's holistic and it aligns with things like Frere and, uh, excuse me, it aligns with uh, theories such as ones coming from Frere as well as bell hooks. Personally, I identify that transformational education is how we should be moving, and I organize this by thinking about Novak's understanding of meaningful learning, which he defines as the constructive integration of thinking, feeling, and acting, leading to commitment to personal and social responsibility for themselves in the wider world, as well as aligned with other types of critical race theorists who talk about writing yourself into the word and writing yourself into the world. So this is where I come as a uh, as a pedagogue uh, as a as a curriculum strategist in a much larger sense. So my work generally uh, as a history education strategist in which I involve, I'm involved in different consulting activities across different universities and social institutions, right now has brought me to uh, York, as I said, to, deb- to project manage and do the curriculum support for the Digital Humanities and Social Science teaching and learning project. Um, This received grant from the Academic Innovation Fund from the Vice President of Teaching and Learning, and their key elements for funding this grant was that it did provide opportunities for experiential learning and e-learning. Coming from the Office of the Vice Provost, part of her portfolio is access and community engagement. And so, aligned with these things, this is how we engaged with what we could do with the digital humanities and social sciences now again to just back up and to define digital humanities is this umbrella of convergent practices so many of us already engaged in digital humanities and social sciences despite not necessarily articulating it as much Uh, as long as you are integrating humanities and social sciences with any sort of digital technologies technically you're doing digital humanities and social sciences but often there's this um Uh, a fear associated with that because there's this uh, impression that it's focused on programming. I am not a digital humanities Person, I come at this as an educational specialist, and what I have found in reviewing the literature is that there is a split between programming and meaning making. And so if we focus on meaning making as the key element to digital humanities and social sciences, that opens up a lot of space to be able to craft opportunities in our curriculum and our pedagogy to think about digital humanities in really open, accessible, community-engaged ways. As soon as we allow for more space for meaning-making, I argue that we allow for more space for transformation. And this is what, again, I feel is the key for engaging in curriculum. So our project, the idea was that we were going to have students engage with a range of digital humanities and social science products, such as a digital uh, exhibit, digital archive and analysis documents. The idea was that it was going to highlight um, resources from our organized research units, their archived resources, as well as provide examples of best practices related to data management as well as curriculum. We would take these projects and extrapolate best practices for an instructor's guide that will be completed at the end of the month for how faculty who are not versed in social science or uh, digital social science or humanities methods can be able to bring in a small sense some of these practices into their classroom. What we found is that um, the students were able to engage in digital humanities and social sciences in a way that activated a deconstructive and meaning-making approach to what they were doing. This student in particular, Wendy, she, uh, uh, her exhibit was actually the archive that she created. What she wanted to do was to demonstrate how her own ideas about this particular uh, context and the particular font that it aligned with was able to be broken down when she had to interact with the materials. In breaking that down, she was then able to rebuild it up through a process of watching that deconstruction and creating meaning from it, so that she was able to tell a particular narrative and situate herself within that narrative, which again is a key element of transformative pedagogy. My other writing has really identified how things regarding uh, historical thinking as a way to engage with history education can be a very transactive approach. And that's why I really want to uh, emphasize the importance of meeting making and deconstruction in history education, particularly related to digital humanities and social sciences because of that possibility. I'm now going to turn it over to Mary. (coughs) Mary. to talk about her experience at Laurier and Ryerson. I'll leave that for you. Yeah, sure. So I'm coming at this
1: from the perspective of um, teaching and designing and facilitating a digital humanities course for a third year undergraduate level. And some of the ways and the work really that goes into creating this meaningful process and implementing maybe some of these larger curricular goals within the course format. And so where I really started with this process was during my time, uh, I had a faculty appointment at Wolf Laurier University, I'm trained as a historian. And um, what I was trained, what I was tasked with doing was designing a course about the digital humanities that was around digital publishing and editing. It was a class of 40, and there were only about five issues Right? So we're dealing with uh, students from all over the university, which is actually really fabulous in the end. But what that means is I couldn't really rely on a standard disciplinary understanding of what we meant by um, we're going to analyze a primary source, we're going to analyze a secondary source, and we're going to talk about early 20th century Canada. There wasn't necessarily a deep foundation there. Right? So, uh, so that really led me to the question that I have on the slide here, which is how do we meaningfully design and facilitate digital humanities courses? And particularly the thing I was trying to wrap my head around was how do we connect or how do I connect the learning that's happening in the digital space and the learning that's happening in class because I had an in-class course, we had three hours each week, but everything that we were doing was in the digital, we were talking about what we were doing in the digital, the main assessment was happening in a digital space, the primary sources we were dealing with, we were actually actively digitizing them, we were creating a digital resource. And so it was how do I bridge these two spaces? And what I didn't want to do was what is happening with this bridge up here, which is a bridge that like leads to nowhere. Like you get to the end of the bridge and all of a sudden you're <laughs> in the water and you don't know what happened, right? So this was, this was where I was really thinking about how to connect these two things. And I put this up here because this is what the students ended up creating. Each student um, had a letter that they were assigned. I built a collaboration with the University, uh, Wolfer-Laurier University Archives. Julia Hendry, the head archivist there, collaborated with me on this project. We digitized these letters. Students transcribed these letters. They also annotated these letters. They created historical annotations. They worked in groups to create blogs, which were essentially kind of like an editorial. It was an edited collection of letters. Um, And so while the archives provided a lot of the content that helped build this out, and a lot of the expertise, because I actually didn't know who C.H. Little was before <laughs> that Sue wrote these letters, but the archives knew a lot about him. <clears throat> I was tasked with designing the, the assessment, walking the students through step by step how they were going to build these web pages, making sure they had the disciplinary and content knowledge to do that, uh, and sort of the day to day functions of how the course was working. And I think the course overall worked pretty well. The student feedback was interesting. Most of the students talked about a journey. They kind of said, "You know, I was really intimidated by this project in the beginning, um, but in the end, I found it to be very meaningful." And they talked about that journey in relation to two different skill sets. One, a lot of them were really terrified by the primary source itself. They were like, "I can't read his handwriting. I don't know what ecclesiastical means because he was, <laughs> he was a priest." <laughs> um, and then they also were afraid of working with each other. Right? I don't want to. I don't know how to work with my colleagues, or I've had negative experiences in the past. Right? So these are the two. Aspects in which students are describing their journey They're saying, I I saw myself grow in terms of the skills, and I saw myself grow in terms of the group that I was able to collaborate with. But the scaffolding that made all of that happen was me actually designing the course materials so that they felt they could be supported along this this journey, right? And I guess um, the question is, what kind of skills or what what kind of activities help students along that bridge? Like, we're thinking about the bridge between digital spaces spaces, right? And essentially to kind of build on what is saying, we're thinking about planning for interactivity rather than delivery, right? So students actually doing, um, and also complementing what's happening through the digital aspect of the digital humanities, whether it be an app or an online um, primary source or however else you want to define it, and then what you're doing in class if you have that in-class space. So they're not existing as separate spaces but they're actually complementing each other. And so, in in reflecting on the experience of designing this course, I really thought that what I'm bringing as an instructor to design this course is actually three skill sets. Um, I needed my disciplinary expertise, right, I needed to be able to guide students through what early 20th century Canada looked like in the Waterloo region. Uh, I needed to have the technological know-how to use the WordPress website. Actually, I had to guide students through building the web pages. Um, building the annotations. I was responsible for getting the website up. I I uploaded or downloaded or whatever loaded the plugins. I had to learn how to use them, right? And then I had to actually create the materials that guided students step-by-step how to use those. I actually created like a 40 or 45 page manual that guided, this is what you do first, this is what you do second, this is what you do third, so that they could actually learn how to do this. And then thirdly, classroom management, right? I had to manage those groups. I had to design the assessments for them. And you have to provide the support that students need when they're working with one another for the first time. You you know what that's like, (laughs) right? So really it's these three skill sets that I'm bringing together. And what I'm realizing is that most of us don't have all three. And I'm not necessarily saying that I have all three in similar strengths. This is not like the Dr. Chexair's amazing hour. Um, But think about what it might be like to design a digital humanities course if you don't have the technological know-how, right? Or think about what it might be like to design a Digital Humanities course if you're not exactly familiar with the discipline or the content that you're talking about. Or think about what it might mean to design a Digital Humanities course if you're not familiar with collaboration in terms of classroom management because the Digital Humanities is at its in essence a collaborative discipline. Everything happens collaboratively whether in person or online. So you have to try to replicate that in the classroom. But if you don't have experience managing, assessing teamwork assignments, how, where do you start? And in order to support meaningful work for students, we have to support meaningful environment for instructors to do the work. So these were just, uh, just to give you a sense of the complexity of the course, these were some of the ways that I I connected the the in-class and digital spaces. We spent a lot of time thinking about reflection, so reflection on the content, reflection on the process, reflection on the readings. And a lot of students in their assessments afterwards said that that was one of the most helpful aspects of the course because by the end they had a full set of notes they could reflect upon what they were doing in class. I had regular reporting, so they worked in groups and we did progress reports. How are you doing? What are you doing? (laughs) Um, How can I help? Right? And that helped us all kind of stay together and stay connected. The tech user guide was really essential I think to not having a complete mutiny uh, when students didn't quite understand how to do things because it meant that they could do it on their own outside of class time. So we might run through how to, run, how to do a website, but then they had the materials afterwards so they could go through it on their own, on their own time, outside of class. Um, and, of course, this idea of collaboration, which students collaborated with each other, but I, as the instructor, was also collaborating with the archives, right? And so there was collaboration happening kind of like on multiple levels so that students understood the nature of the work. Um, But as an instructor, this is a complicated (laughs) structure to to be building and to be managing, right? And so I guess my main takeaway is just to be cognizant of of this complexity when we're thinking about translating the meaning making from the curricular level to the actually implementation level in the courses and to really think about the work that goes into this kind of design and implementation, Um, but also to remind ourselves of the rewards, right? I started by saying this is what we don't want, the bridge that leads to nowhere, right? But when we do meaningfully connect the in-class and the digital learning, and when we do meaningfully support instructor or teacher success and student success, what you really see is a kind of transformational experience that most people, at least from the student feedback I got, walk away from feeling a sense of personal achievement from that is outside just of getting the grade, right? They feel they, they went on a journey themselves personally. And so that's where I'd like to leave it. Thank you. Um,
2: so, I'm an educational developer at York. So, hi, I know you're doing <laughs> doing you too. i on Twitter. all these great connections yeah. <laughs> um, But, thrilled, of course, also to, to hear about other great work happening at York as well, known as Respect to Virus, but a connection. Um, I think, in particular, what I'm fascinated by is the insights that we take from our own classroom and teaching experiences and how we transfer those and offer those, I suppose is a much better word, to the faculty colleagues that we work with. So I'm also uh, part of an AIF project right now, we're wrapping up the tail end, where one thing we're really talking about is how do we take these insights and again offer them to faculty. You often see some of the pieces that you're doing as additions rather than integrations. Yeah. Lisa, I have a whole slide for you. Excellent. Um. Yeah, so that's, that's our biggest, one of our biggest challenges right now. So a lot of what you're talking about in digital communities or in other spaces and places, um, it's this additional layer of work. It's another thing I have to do. And sometimes that's even just the e-learning piece, right? Like putting something online is more work and different work. Um, and we're, we're, I am fighting the narrative of addition and working toward integration. So I think a lot of it absolutely is that slide, but I'm curious from, from both of you, coming from places where we're not necessarily embedded within the faculty and not doing the same type of work that they're doing, how you have those conversations?
0: Yeah, so the work that um, we're doing for our AIF grant, AIF grant is not to design digital humanities courses, mm-hmm. and that isn't the goal at all. The goal um, is, that the, is that a faculty member might choose to bring one assignment, uh, that's a digital humanities assignment, into the classroom as a way to replace something that uh, uh, like a traditional essay for example, and so the instructor's guide I don't believe I have any screenshots on my USB key of the instructor's guide, but the instructor's guide is designed as a way to break down um, oh no, I don't want to do that, oh my God, no, all I'm that scary sounds <laughs> yeah, I don't have um, I don't have that slide there. Uh, but the idea is that to break down step by step in terms of what uh, someone would expect to develop an assessment. So first, identify what percentage you want. Is it 10% assignment 15%? And what are you doing? Are you replacing something or are you adding something? Um, and, then, uh, and then we go, then step two is then to talk to people that can support you. So one of the elements I didn't mention in this was that the library at New York University is a key collaborator on this and that I've presented with um, the director of the Digital Scholarship Centre at another uh, conference, uh, another association at, during this conference about the importance of intercollaboration. Um, and then step three is to engage, but that engagement, of course, is multi-layered. And so I've provided readings, and I've provided a lot of discussion about um, about what a faculty member might expect with a traditional assignment and how this changes. Mm-hmm. So it's like these tiny little micro changes, so that it doesn't feel overwhelming. Um, it's not like designing a course, like Mary's example, and that's why uh, we thought this would be a really nice. Uh, pairing with each other, mm-hmm. but the idea of breaking down one to one to one for someone who might be resistant to digital humanities and the idea of e-learning, um, that's the way that we've approached it. Yeah. So
2: to be able so, to the same goal. Yeah, yeah. So uh,
0: we should continue to talk and uh, the instructor's guide will be available at the end of the month. So,
1: yeah. Essentially, yeah, it's, 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 it's voluntary. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I mean my, my experience is not the usual where I was actually handed a course and said the practicum has to be right. The practicum has to be the, the capstone project of the course and it has to be digital, right? Um, it's about kind of like as Smith was saying, teasing out from folks who are already sort of maybe talking to you about something about what their goals are, why they might want to implement digital aspects, how they might want to do that, what their experiences in like in the past, and then try to tweak one thing, right? It could be an assessment, it could also be a class or two. Like you can start at any sort of so kind of this idea of meeting instructors where they are, yeah. like where where are they on the sort of their interest or their capacity, and how can we incorporate something that will help them achieve their goal yeah. and, and connect I, them with collaborators
2: on campus. And I appreciate you that middle piece about the the commitment of time and resources. That's the the underlying current and the very obvious pushback, but to recognize it as a or as a motivator or an opportunity as opposed to the the way you have it phrased there is that there is an opportunity to do this and there's a way to do Mm -hmm. this even with the time and resources you think you don't have, but here's the space you do have.
1: And yeah, part of it is trying to encourage a larger shift, right? So I was at a really interesting presentation at CSSHE. maybe some of you were in there as well, and they talked about how collaboration is two times more likely if it's modeled or encouraged, Mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, if we're starting to get that language coming from chairs and deans and, um, even provosts, if we're starting to see collaboration recognized as scholarly activity right then we're going to see more of it happening yeah. so there's there's some of the bigger sort of conversation happening around there but on the ground the stuff that Samantha and I are doing I think is, is sort of where it's at in terms Absolutely. of yeah building it
0: up. Uh, another thing I, I want to mention related to digital humanities and social sciences oh. is that um, that idea about this like well the idea that it's all about programming is really scary for people and I think that for a lot of people engaged with digital humanities and social sciences as like their thing which is not my thing like it's just a thing I do um is that they forget the expert blind spot and it's very quickly a discussion about programming and w- when they say markup they mean like programming markup and not like <laughs> handwritten on a uh, primary no don't don't handwrite on primary sources but like handwriting on a journal article and so um The idea about our instructor's guide was that it was designed by non experts for non experts, and that was a really key element in order to dispel a lot of the fear around digital humanities. I also just want to, going back to Novak, so Novak's definition of meaningful learning is really important to me, but he also says that for learning to happen, three things need to take place. Uh, It needs to connect with prior knowledge, the learner needs to feel safe, and there needs to be meaningful material. So a lot of the resistance to digital humanities from faculty is that they don't feel safe, and that they no longer feel like content experts. And so, um, working with faculty in a way that allow them to maintain their expert status and their discipline is important in order to make them feel safe enough to bring in new content. Could either
3: of you say something about um, about what it means to say um, making meaning out of data? Goes up to the archives, and what's involved in making the meaning out of data? Um, when you
0: say make, when you or when you're using the word data, are you using it in a in a like computer sense, or are you using it in just like any sort of data? I,
3: I was using it, I thought, in the sense in which you were using it, like when people go up to the archives.
0: I just I wasn't sure if the question was coming. Like I know a lot of people who are resistant to digital humanities are like, my work isn't data work like my work isn't data my work are uh is related to like words from people from the past that's not data so i didn't know if it was that's where you were um for me making meaning um relating to data or any sort of um, uh, material any sort of material i would say is related to one's own connection to oneself in a way that they can articulate it back to the world to make sense So in the work that I do related to history education more generally, what I'm looking for when students are making meaning is that they're able to articulate themselves what something means to them um, and not in a way that is in a a rote way, but in a way that demonstrates a change in their own cognitive structure about uh, what the world looks like now because of something that they have seen or experienced or did.
3: I would argue the limited notion of meaning. Supposing you send somebody off on the French Revolution or whatever, off to the archives, and, and they, they review data, and they come to conclusions that are meaningful to themselves. But historically, it's just crackers.
1: Well, I mean, I think the reality of the matter is that we're not sending students off anywhere to do anything on their own. Um, this, is, this is a scaffolded experience. Right? And so the meaning, is not, the meaning is not contained by that scaffolding but what I'm trying to say is there's a process through which students are walking through in order to arrive at whatever sort of conclusion it is that they do. So for example in my discipline in history there's a particular way that we interrogate isn't the right word but some sources deserve interrogation. You interrogate a source. right? Um, and it goes beyond just the who wrote it and where and when it's like you know what is the content of the source how does it relate to what else we've read there's a certain way that you move through the analyze the analysis of a source that doesn't necessarily change because you're in the digital space right so that's the that's the humanities and the digital humanities part of things is that you're sort of there's a there's that bridge there's that connection between The work that you're doing more broadly in the course, which may or may not be online, so I don't. I the meeting is something that's about in conversation with one another. So it's not necessarily like anybody's going to run off and do something on their own and then come back and it's going to be like somehow shocking. It's but it's a conversation that's being built on class by class by class by class.
3: So something like historical method and and historical context are not completely divorced from this. We call it this. um, assignment in the, in the archives, but they're getting oh, they're getting layers, layers of other things from other parts of the course. Well,
1: actually, the, I mean, in many ways, in the digital humanities, the course is the archive, because the archive is digital, right. right? So, I mean, there, so, so the, the method and the digitization is happening at the same time. And they're actually, it's informing each other, right? So, for example, when my students created, they transcribed the source, right? They transcribed the writing, which was a do, but they also built out the historical annotation, so there's the critical thinking, the method there as well, right? So they're actually, they're not divorced at all. They're actually happening at the same time and they're informing one another. I, I don't know if, if that makes sense too.
0: Yeah, I also, I really wanna challenge this notion that, that your meaning could be crackers um, yeah. because coming from, coming from a portfolio in which the idea is about access and community engagement, one of the things that I, Really want to argue with our project is that tapping into students' own connections yes. as community members is a really key element, and that sometimes. So I have an issue with historical thinking. I've published quite a lot on that as a way to, to teach history, um, and I have a I have a real issue with a particular method that I think helps produce a particular result, and that I would like to open up space for more opportunities for meeting. Thank you more opportunities for meaning and i think that the digital space really allows for that because for a lot of the different reasons like mary was talking about the annotations but also because digital humanities and social sciences i feel is really public facing and as soon as you start thinking about audience in a way that you don't in a regular history class like a regular history paper that really helps think about the meanings that you're making and what that means in a larger audience. uh, and so I think that's also a real key element of digital humanities is that it is public. It is meant to be public. It's meant to be collaborative and it's meant to be outward facing.
1: Yeah, and, and also to, to provide space for the student voice. Like I, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. one of the student annotations, I shared it with Sam before, Smith, is, uh, one of the students annotated the word Chesterfield um, as a, some, as, a, as an annotation that was worthy of sort of historical documentation and the sort of traditionally strained, trained historian in me was like, oh, this, this is not something that is deserving of historical annotation. But then I checked myself and I said, well, wait a second, it was to that person, yeah. right? It was yeah. to that person important enough for them to annotate and I need to value that, right? And I wish I would have had time to actually circle back to the student and say, like, you know, what about that struck out to you as worthy of an annotation? So I think leaving space for us to maybe check some of those disciplinary gatekeeping places, what it makes sense to, right? There are times that maybe it doesn't make sense, but there are times when it does. Mm -hmm. And to allow the fact that this is, that these students are on their own journey and making sense of, they're making sense of the past as we're exploring it in the courses, but they're also intuitively making sense of their own selves, Mm -hmm. right? And so we kind of have to acknowledge that rather than say, okay, this is is a bad historical annotation.
0: Right. Right, yeah.
1: And shutting down that opportunity for them to reflect on why it is it was important to them in the first place.
0: Again, because going back to connecting with prior knowledges, like, so one time I I, I worked at Black Creek Pioneer Village, a very traditional type of museum, and I had a group of very multicultural grade three students sitting in front of me in the manse, which is the minister's house. And a a student put up their hand and they said to me, how is the prime minister elected? So I could have very easily been like, that has nothing to do with where we are. Ask me another question. But for that student, the connection minister, minister helps situate them in that house. Uh, and I think that the digital space allows for that conversation to happen, which is exciting, I think.
1: If the instructor is open to it. Oh, yeah, like yeah, it. yeah. So there's yeah. this, there's this, <laughs> right. there's a gatekeeper <laughs> in every classroom, yeah. right? <laughs> just the instructor themselves. Yeah. So what, what what are you nurturing, what are you, sorry. I'm just
3: gonna add that, I think it just makes knowledge so much more So I like, so there's a part of me that agrees with that, but then in the U.S. right now we're really having conversations about post-truth and like. All- Concept because it perpetuates white supremacy, it perpetuates xenophobia, and like there does need to be some type of gatekeeper. Um, so yes, I'm like interested in like yeah. how that like relationship to the public and like responsibility to like minority communities like plays out. So I think
1: kind of yeah. So we're almost again, just to discuss to just really quickly, and then want to continue the discussion after. Yeah. Well. Oh, I was just going to say I think. Part of the issue with today's conversation is that we're looking at one slice of the pie right i mean the digital humanities course that i designed was actually all about what are our responsibilities when we put stuff online what 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 do we have responsibility what's what is evidence-based scholarship and what isn't so it's not that the that the gatekeeper is being removed, it's that there is um, a flexibility there in terms of understanding what is reliable and what isn't and when it's okay to stand up and say this is reliable because it's it's my own interpretation, right, and dealing with those difficult issues as they arise in the classroom because the reality of the matter is they're there. There's nothing we can do to remove them.
0: Well, I just really want to, I want to thank you for the question mm-hmm. and I think that it, it like, uh, I'm feeling, uh, I, I teach at Seneca College and I supervise students capstone projects and I, I'm, I feel that kind of creeping in the, the, this kind of uh, right wing discourse that is now acceptable when, uh, not right wing, like, you know, like racist discourse <laughs> that uh, seems like it's somehow acceptable now. Um, it's not something that I've really engaged with here in this context and so I just wanna thank you for that question. And, I'll continue to think about it yeah. more later this work. Yeah. OK. Thank you. Thank you. I feel so super. just, just looks <laughs> <laughs> like you yeah. I feel like a little bit of sunstroke.